and let's open them to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, and I uh, appreciate that. Appreciate the singing. All that goes on. Where could I go but to the Lord? I was thinking. Uh, Peter said it well. The uh, there's a point where many followers of Christ turned back. I heard a strong teaching that they just couldn't handle and they turned aside, turned back. Jesus turned to the original 12 he called and he said, will you go away also? So he asked him, you'll leave me too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I'm getting a signal from the man up there. And uh, I looked up and uh, of course uh, Caleb's taking Brother Dan's place right now and uh, he's doing this. I thought he's going to try to fly off the balcony for a second. I didn't have my lav mic on. But uh, Peter said, uh, he said, to whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And so, where could you go but to the Lord? I thought about this. Where would you want to go but to the Lord? And so, that's a, it is a good thing to have the Lord. That's for sure. First Thessalonians. And uh, what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to uh, make a few comments about this uh, book of Thessalonians. And this morning, then we're going to read uh, through the first chapter of Thessalonians. I'll make a few comments right before that. And then we're going to read the first chapter of Thessalonians. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to highlight and preach to you certain things out of there. And uh, this morning, uh, as I'm beginning this uh, teaching and preaching in Thessalonians, I don't know how long the Lord will have me in it. Of course, Thessalonians 1 and 2 are both short books. And uh, this morning, God willing, we'll cover the entire first chapter. I think that's what He'd have us do. We'll see as it goes along. But uh, I want you to be familiar with these two books of the Bible. And uh, I want uh, our Sunday morning crowd to have a, have a good diet of this coming in. And this morning, uh, the series we're doing on Thessalonians, I'm calling this morning, Meeting the Thessalonians, dash, Meeting Ourselves. Meeting the Thessalonians, Meeting Ourselves. And by that meaning that we're going to learn some things, what we're supposed to be as Bible-believing people. You know, we claim the name of Christian. How many of you aren't, aren't ashamed of that? I'm not. I'm not ashamed. I'm glad I'm a Christian. That, that, that means something. Christ ones. Like unto Jesus Christ. And of course, the early Christians did not give themselves that name. That name was given to them when people observed their living and observed their actions and their attitudes and what they did and said they're like Jesus was. They're like that Jesus man. So they were Christians, ones like unto Christ. I uh, hope that in myself and in all of you hearing me this morning, I hope that when someone meets us or sees us, that that would be the case, that they would see Christ in us. That God help us to do that. It's, it's very important uh, that we represent Him properly. And so First Thessalonians, let me say these things about the Thessalonians, and you can kind of look for these when we read then. Here are some of the things that the Thessalonian Christians were. These people meeting in this town, I'll tell you about a little bit. I wrote these down and, uh, and I put the verse beside them. We're not going to read into all these verses right now, but they were secure in Christ. That's in verse 1. That's the base from which we start. They were diligent. And we'll see that in verse 3 as we read it. They were the elect of God. We'll see that in verse 4 and explain some of that. They were followers. That's in verse uh, 4 there. They were examples in verse 5. It talks about that. They were bold and vocal about the gospel. We'll see that in verse 6. They were uh, 
sounded out is the word that's there. They sounded out the word. They spoke it out in verse 7. They were, uh, uh, they were persuaded and they were grounded in what they believed in verse 7. In verse 9 rather, I'm sorry. And they were mindful of the Lord's return in verse 9. These were some of these believers. Here's what they were. And may God help us to be like that. Let's look now in chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1 uh, with the Scripture there. And it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. That just means the people who lived in this town called Thessalonica, city actually, which is, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. From, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So there's a lot in that chapter, isn't there? As I've been reading through and reading through again, First Thessalonians, I'm not even going to attempt to try to go through very much of chapter 2. There's so much in it. But I want, to, I want us to meet and have a little bit of an overview of these folks uh, that are in Thessalonica. And uh, this, that God, this was a letter written to these people, written to the church, and God's preserved it. He's preserved this, this thing for about 2,000 years. So we have it today because it's God's words. They're God's words being given to us. So they're very important. Would you pray with me and let's, let's go into the message. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for what we've read. Lord, may we have understanding with it. I would love to, uh, Lord, be so yielded to you as to give emphasis exactly where you want it this morning. Um, Lord, uh, I yield as best I know how with that. I admit to you the, the schedule of the week and all that can take a toll. And uh, Father, I don't want to be encumbered by any of that, but I want to be a vessel Thank you. Bless the service, please. Amen. All right, let me show you some things, what the Lord has for us in this book. It's pretty amazing, really, what He's given to us and uh, what we have in front of us with it. This, this town of Thessalonica, this is funny. It's now called Thessaloniki. It's spelled almost the same, ends with an I-K-I. Right now, that city, which has been in continuous existence since times well before this writing, has a population of a little over 300,000 people in it. So it's a good-sized city. By the way, 
It's supposed to be 71 degrees with a slight breeze today. <laughs> if you wanted to check the weather, which I did. <laughs> so if you were in the church of Thessalonica, the weather would be a little nicer than it is here, but, but not that different. And uh, it, is, it, is a, uh, it is a city in Greece. It's uh, Macedonia is obviously a name. It's, it's Greek in the Grecian area. But it was a major city. It was founded in uh, 315 B.C. Uh, it was founded uh, by um, um, Cassandra, who was a Macedonian king. And uh, the city was founded, immediately grew because of the port and, and the atmosphere and the different things that were there and uh, the, the climate and such. And uh, it was founded under Cassandra. And the name, this is interesting, the name comes from his wife. He founded the city and named it after his wife. And his wife was the half-sister of Alexander the Great. There you go. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It all ties in together. And so this, of course, became uh, later on after the time of Paul, actually, it actually became a, uh, uh, a, a, a uh, it was already under Roman rule at that time, but it became a colony, it had that status later on. And it's been a prosperous town and a steady town ever since. But this was a, this was a city and this was a town. Now, it's interesting, that area, there have been times where they've been through troubles of illnesses. You know, that's, that's been common throughout humanity. Uh, t- troubles of financial problems, all that sort of thing. But yet they were of the churches of Macedonia that you read about over in the book of Corinthians where it talks about churches of Macedonia and what faith they had that even while they were going through affliction and such, they were making sure the gospel got out into all the world. So that's the city of Thessalonica. The people grew up there. It would have been a stable area. It was a city that was, like I said, it was founded and has stayed in existence. And uh, some of the cities which are named in the Bible no longer exist. Some of them didn't exist very long after the Bible was written. But this is one that's continued. And uh, in the gospel that was preached to them has continued. The apostle, when he went to the, the city of Thessalonica, he started preaching to the synagogue of the Jews, and as he would do when he'd go into a, a city most often. People there, some of them accepted the Lord, but a great number of the Gentiles accepted the Lord and of the devout ladies, not a few, some of the chief people in the town. And so there was a great influence with the gospel among all different classes of people. Uh, let, let me tell you something that will encourage your heart when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. Everyone that you meet, whether they are cognizant of it or not, they need the Lord. And uh, I needed the Lord before I ever knew I needed the Lord, for sure. And uh, uh, before I'd even heard the gospel, I had a need for the Lord. I wasn't aware of that need until God in His good mercy allowed the gospel to come to me and me to hear the wonderful story of Christ, what He did, who He is, and why He came. And uh, everybody you meet, don't be intimidated. And it's easy to be at times. It's kind of a human thing. Sometimes we'll imagine because someone has something that's more expensive than ours that intimidates some people. Think how silly that is, you know. Oh, they've got a real fancy car. You do understand it will rust. One day you'll see it flattened on the back of a semi, right? And, and so why be intimidated by that? You say, well, they're more educated than I am. Well, that's great. I'm glad uh, people, you know, have capacity to learn things. I've known some people that I believe are truly brilliant people. I could give you some things that would totally amaze you about some of the people I've had blessing to be in contact with in my life. And I mean, people whose mental function just runs in a different gear than that with which I'm equipped. And uh, thank God for it. 
sometimes that intimidates people. Sometimes if someone, uh, you know, they look rough, you know, you get that one rough looking and, and then mean looking, that intimidates people. No, nah, it shouldn't intimidate you. My, 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 my gosh, did you use caution? You know? <laughs> if they're four times your size and don't look happy, you might want to proceed carefully. But, uh, you know, it uh, shouldn't intimidate you. Some people are intimidated. Uh, sometimes people are intimidated by uh, somebody has a handicap, somebody's in a wheelchair, someone can't hear, someone can't see. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Why? They're people. They need the Lord. And we ought to be able to just talk to people and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ because it's a great need. I'm going to tell you something. Every human being, every person you offer me, regardless of what they have going on in their life, has a need in them for the Savior of mankind, Jesus Christ. And so these Thessalonians, they received the Lord. And there were a lot of things that went on with it. Let, let me show you something. They start in verse 1. And I want you, as we're meeting the Thessalonians here, and in some case, kind of meeting ourselves as believers, I want you to look at it. It starts out again. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned to, uh, to you there, uh, that there's a distinction and that they're secure in Christ. And he's talking to the church. There's a distinction between the entire group of those who would meet together to hear the preaching, because you always had that, and those who are actually the church. And that distinction is whether or not they are in Christ. Because the group that meet together, okay, let's say if we had... If we had an evangelistic outreach, we're always reaching out with the gospel. But if we had an evangelistic outreach from this church, and we did a thing where we brought in folks, and maybe maybe a lot of people came in, maybe from a local high school or something like that, and there were a good number of people gathered together who professedly didn't know the Lord as their Savior. And they were all in this building. And we were preaching and that sort of thing. Let's say there were 50 among that who did not know the Lord as their Savior. Those 50 would be part of the congregation in the, in, as in the sense, I'm not using the biblical term from the Old Testament there, but as far as those who congregate or come together to hear the preaching. We might say, because it's the way we say things as Americans, how many were in church? What we mean by that is how many gathered together for that service. And we might say 150. And 50 of them professively not knowing the Lord as their Savior. Right? I mean, they're angry at the gospel, they just don't know the Lord. Truthfully, though, when God looks at it, at that group coming together, the 150 that we're talking about here, if you were to find out from the Lord and you say, Lord, how many were your church that were there? He would say 100 of them. Because the others are congregating together, but they are not my church. And the reason and the difference is there in verse 1. Look what it says. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in Christ. You say, well, what's that talking about? Well, what that's talking about is it's talking about the fact that we have been placed in Christ when we believed on Him as our Savior. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Don't lose your place in Thessalonians, but go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Hang a left in your Bible. It's right back here. 1 Corinthians 12. And if you don't find something by the time I start reading it, don't be dismayed by that. We use quite a bit of Scripture. Just listen carefully to get what I'm saying, and then I'll be glad to give you the references later. You can look them up. 1 Corinthians 12. and verse 12... 
in this chapter, it's talking about how different believers make up different parts of the body of Christ. We're what God uses to get His work accomplished. And we have different abilities, different giftings, different strengths, different weaknesses. And God uses those different things to get His work done. And so it's talking about that in that context. And look in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, and your Spirit there is the Holy Spirit of God, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. That is not water baptism in that verse. That is the Spirit baptism into the body of Christ. It is what is symbolized when we baptize somebody in the water. But that is not water. This, this is the actual transaction that puts us in Christ. And what it says there, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and, and by one Spirit, uh, excuse me, and have been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then it goes on to explain the need of all of those. But you see here in the Scripture, as it teaches here, and as it shows in other places, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are put in Christ. In fact, I love one of the greatest assurance verses I know of in the Bible is this. It says we are accepted. I'm going to give you part of the verse. We are accepted in the Beloved. What does that mean? That means everywhere that Jesus Christ is accepted, we're accepted. That means we will be as accepted into heaven as Jesus Christ is because we are actually placed in Him. I cannot explain everything to you about that. I know it's a biblical fact. I know it's a reality, but I can't. I can't a bit more explain every detail of that or how all that works to you. And I can show you a lot of scriptures, and I can show you some things about it. But I do know this: for myself, on July 26 of 1980, I didn't adopt a religion. I didn't get religion. Something wonderful happened that I didn't even know what all was happening. I knew I was a lost sinner and I needed Christ. I became convinced of that. And the good power of the Holy Spirit of God was there to convict me, convince me in my sinful condition, and I believed on Christ. I said, Lord, I take it. I, I probably didn't even say anything that was intelligible words. I wasn't a church kid. I didn't know the language. But on that day when by faith I said, Jesus, it's you, not me. I trust who you are. I trust what you did. There was a transaction that happened, and there was a transaction that's forever that I was placed in Him. And thank God for that. By the way, if you're saved this morning, you're placed in Him too. And so from this is what my statement I'm making to you, my biblical statement, that there's a difference between the church and just those who congregate together. And so they were the church. So we see that there. Let's go on down. I'm back in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go on down with this. Verse 2, it said, We gave thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. It's just a little side note I put down. Take time to be mindful and thankful for other believers. That's a little reminder to myself. When I'm reading through here, you see I notate quite a bit in my Bible. Put things in there. That's a little side note in my Bible. I put down, be, take time to think. And be thankful for other Christians and all that. I was glad to see you back again t- today with it. Much. I'm glad to have you here. And I, I'm looking around and Scotty back. And I was looking around and Philip this morning and seeing different folks and getting to meet some new folks. But I, thank God for people who are believers. Thank God for them. Thank God for every man, woman, boy, girl that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and tries to honor Him. Thank God for everyone 
that professes His name and wants to love Him and gives Him some amount of praise and honor and worship that He's deserving. We ought to learn to thank God for other Christians. And when we do that, it's a wonderful thing. I, I, worry, I, I worry about the spiritual health of somebody when they start talking this way. They start talking in a negative manner about all other believers. Well, you know how all believers are. Well, you know, uh, Christians are just as bad. And they just start running down and bad-mouthing all the people of God. I think a lot of times that happens simply because there's this disillusionment which should never be there because it is based on an illusion that somehow Christian people are exempt from acting like people. And it's so strange to me, Brother Brian, that the Bible is so clear about the fact that that's going to happen. I mean, we're reading in the Bible about people fussing over whose widows are being served first. Everybody's getting the meal, but they're fussing in the Bible. They were fussing over who got served first in life. We talk about the early church, right? That's early church. No, nah, it doesn't. But we don't make common sense sometimes. Adam is people. We really don't. Right. <laughs> That's the case. <laughs> and so what happens is they, they're just fussing over this. And okay, it had to be dealt with. It was a very human thing. That church grew from 120 to 3,120 in one day. You're talking about growing things. Oh, my soul. And so what ends up happening is that. Sometimes people get disillusioned and they start talking about all oh, God's people and all this and all that. And the sad part of that is that we ought, we can combat that. There's so much of that we can avoid by just being thankful. Thank God. Thank God that there's people who believe on the Lord. Thank God there's people who profess about Thank God there's people who are trying to follow the Lord in one manner or another. And when we're grateful that way, it can strengthen us. And by the way, our Christian life will be a lot sweeter and a lot stronger with it. Let's go on down. And then it says, regarding them, he said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Look at what they did. This is what I said. They were diligent. They were faithful workers. They, your work of faith. And labor of love. I like that word labor. It's a common worker. Didn't Jesus, you know, the only prayer request that Jesus ever gave, he instructed in prayer. But the only prayer request you ever find that he gave was this. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth, you know what the next word is? Labors, exactly, church. Labors into His harvest. Common workers who can do a day's work. Yesterday, it was a good testimony of those who were here, and you need to hear what I heard. Mike, who had come from there, by Mike and Rachel did a fantastic job. By the way, I suggest, there's a lady named Rachel who I just met for the first time. I was out here working on concrete with us. I suggest if any of you men are even a third of the way lazy, you never get near her. She will shame you to death. Oh, my soul, that gal could work. And we're, doing, we're pouring concrete. That wasn't light work. And she was cheerful the whole time, upbeat the whole time, which makes me think she was crazy the whole time. <laughs> but it was, my goodness, could she work. But here's what Mike said. I went over and said, hey, I really appreciate it because they went above and beyond. They really did and uh, I'm so glad Brother Chris found him. He was too. We weren't completely sure until 7.30, 8 o'clock the night before. So that's if Brother Chris has a few more gray hairs this morning. That's where they came from. <laughs> we were sure we're going to have the... I mean, we have our workers, but we have to have skilled personnel to do that. And, uh, and so Mike uh, and Brother Chris was, was our skilled guy who was healthy enough to be doing it. But we had uh, uh, Mike. He was there working and working like crazy. He worked real fast and real ac very accurately. 
And I said to him, I went by and I was carrying something. And I said, Mike, I said, really appreciate you doing a good job. And he looked up at me, and you know how he wouldn't pause while he was working. He just said, I wish I could get wish we could get this kind of help where we work. And so, but he saw some workers out there. Well, to do something. I mean, sometimes we're just standing all look at because we didn't know what to do next, and then you, you get dragging concrete and that kind of stuff. But why? He was glad to have some people there. You know what? These people in Thessalonica were people who had a work of faith. They were doing some things. They were working for the Lord. They were doing this. Look what else it says about them. Not only work of faith and the labor of love. These were laborers. It was a labor of love. We did it for the love of the Lord. We did it for the love of, uh, of, of God's people. And that's what it's got to be. Because it just comes down to that. It's, it's a lot of times there's nothing glamorous about the Lord's work. It's just messy and it's dirty at times and it's just work. It just it takes some effort to get things done. May God bless those who are laborers. May He increase that. And then it said, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And then verse 4, knowing, uh, brethren, beloved, your election of God. You say, who are the elect of God? Those who believed on Christ. In fact, Jesus is referred to specifically and uh, individually as the elect. When you are in Christ, we have, by, we, we have access by faith, Scripture says this in Romans, into this grace wherein we stand. What's the access into the grace of God? The access into the grace of God is faith. That goes clear back to Abraham. He believed God. And yet, his, his belief was accounted unto him for righteousness. By faith, we believe on Christ. That puts us in a state called grace, where God's, uh, I love the acronym made with it, or the acrostic rather, where you go off with each letter. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good analysis of that word. And when by faith we believe Christ, are you getting this? Not believe that we believe Christ enough. Not believe that somehow we've been convinced. When we just believe Him, He is who He said He is. He did what He said He did. When by faith we had access into this grace, that grace, those who are in that grace, are the elect of God. What did God elect? That those who believed on Christ from the foundation of the world, those who believed on Christ would be in Christ and all the things that are eternal would be theirs. That's why the term everlasting and eternal are both used. They're not exactly the same word. The first clues are spelled differently, right? They overlap, but there's more to eternal life than just not perishing. Everlasting is the idea that it continues forever. Eternal, not only does it continue forever, but it's also the quality and the condition of that life. We have eternal life. And, and we have that through Christ and in Christ. So who are these elected in Thessalonians? Those who believed on Christ. That's that church that's in Christ. And so it goes on. And I could talk a lot more about that. But look in verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. And by the way, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Still is. I've had this discussion just recently. Someone's going to be giving the gospel out here shortly, and they were asking questions. And we talked about that. And in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, I'm glad there's a lot of assurance. Sometimes uh, you want to just kind of keep your eyes open to something as you're reading in through the Bible. And watch the lengths to which God goes in the Scripture to give us assurance as His believers. Look how many times He 
forms and frames the same thing different ways. I never leave thee nor forsake thee. That this type of a, this type of a language. Look how many verses deal with the fact that we're in Christ. That uh, uh, the earnest of his his inheritance has been given to us. There's an inheritance for us that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This type of language. It goes throughout the Bible. Why? Because God knows we need a lot of assurance. <laughs> the, the fellas, ladies, you can't listen for a minute. Fellas, married fellas, have you ever seen the fact that sometimes your wife needs to hear something more than once? You say, yeah, I give her instruction three or four times. No, ding dong, you're on the wrong page. Is that why you're nodding your head, John? You can prove you're young and married. Well, one thing is, man always thinks he hear one thing and yeah. like about the other. For Absolutely. Joel here is doing the error of a young man. There's nobody here who's married a long time, has very many years on him, that did that right then. Just take a clue from that, huh? I'm not talking about trying to explain it to them that way. I'm talking about... Um, if if your wife enjoys cooking and does it, is that good? Do you like the meal? I'm a I have to watch. I really do. An act of love for me is not for me to go the yeah, the look because I'm sorry. There's just so many moving parts in what I do and in my life. And I said something that once I don't need to revisit that. It's time to go to the next thing. Oh, that can make me a jerk as a husband. I have to really not do that. Truthfully. And uh, that's, uh, you say, why do you say that when your wife's not in here? I don't want her to me when I say that. But, um, but what I mean is the, the assurance is there. But you know, fellas, we're not really different than that. You surely see it in your children. Huh. Be like the fella, and it's a, you know, just a story, but it's kind of funny. His wife said, you never told me you love me. He said, I told you when we got married, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. All right? <laughs> That's not smart. <laughs> okay, you know better than that. Yeah, very good. Let's <laughs> not some, some open line over here. Um, but God, He refers to His church and the female. It's always referred to that way. His church is referred to in a female form. Why? Because we react to him as the groom. He's the, he's, the, he's the groom. We're his bride. And he knows that all of us, male and female, have built within us a need for assurance. Is everything okay? Why? Because a lot of things come along in life that can shake that, that foundation and that strength. A lot of things come along in life that can cause us to be unstable. God, one of the great mercies He shows us, one of the great acts of love He shows us is in His Word, preserved forever for us. It's written over and over again, from God, I love you, and nothing will ever change that. I'm going to tell you something. That, that is an amazing thing. It really is. And so He talks about this, about much assurance. And by the way, you, you cannot assure somebody too much about the fact that that the Lord is good and that He can take care of Himself. We've been assuring each other as a church as we've seen craziest times. Those of us who got a couple years on us say, they have never seen anything quite like going on in our country and all that. And we know that. Come on, we're Bible believers. We believe we're heading towards a trumpet sounding. We believe we're heading towards Antichrist rising. Why are we amazed 
of strange things go on. If we'd believe our Bible, we would be expecting that. But it's still uncomfortable. <laughs> still strange to us, isn't it? Yeah, but that's what the Bible's good for. It, it is. If you look, I know you're talking about this. It's <laughs> happening now. Yeah. That everything's going to be, it's fine, things are okay because it's in the Bible. Right. Better, it's going to be good, right? Yeah. All right, I like that. Well, that's going to help me out there. I love that. And so what happens is, the, because we see what's going on, we have said, I've heard it all throughout, I've said it, you've said it, we keep saying to each other such things, the Lord's in charge, nothing's changed about the Bible. We go back and say, hey, getting the gospel out is what we're about. We see that. We've gone back to a reset, back to the basics in our Christianity. And that's not a bad thing. It takes us back to a place of assurance for us to follow the Lord. Let's go on down and uh, finish out here with this. And then in verse 6, it's amazing. He said, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. And we see this thing of affliction and joy being juxtapositioned right there together. And, and that's, that is characteristic of the Macedonian churches and what's said about them throughout uh, the New Testament. But it's interesting. He said, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Um, Brother Darren's actually the first one who showed and pointed this out to me. Some of you don't know who that is. Of course, uh, uh, was our assistant pastor for years and years. Been He and I have been friends since 1984. And so uh, he's, uh, uh, some of you uh, don't know him. That's kind of odd for my mind, but I realize that. But he served this church and has served extremely well. Uh, right now in Thailand, serving the Lord there. And uh, so anyway, that's, he, he was the first one. He pointed the progression of something about following out to me. And I'm not going to turn you to all these references, but it's interesting. Paul, by the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 4.16, 4, says to those young believers, just starting out, he said to those young believers, he said, be ye followers of me. And then he ended the verse there. He said, be ye followers of me. Why? That was their first step. He said, I'm going to teach you something. Watch what I'm saying. Now, a little different today because they didn't have a completed Bible at that time to hand them a New Testament, right? We immediately get Scripture in the hand with it. And you said, be followers of me. And so that was a very valid thing. Then, the next time it shows up is in 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he said, be followers of me as I follow Christ. And that matches what we just read here. He said, while I'm following Jesus, you come with me as we're following Jesus. And what he's doing is he's taking, he said, follow me. At first, they didn't know anything. I said, let me teach you something. And what he immediately taught them was they should be giving their, their loyalty to Christ. And then he said, you follow me while I'm following Christ. By the way, the safety of that is, is if that person that you're following is following Christ turns aside, you keep following Christ. Right. You stay right on with that. But then as you keep maturing, then you come to Ephesians 5 and verse 1, and it starts out this way, be ye followers of God as dear children. What is that? It doesn't mean that we don't need teachers in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't need pastors and teachers and people to help us. I get help from other people. I, I get fed by other people. That's God's design. We benefit from that. But the fact is, uh, there's nothing that can come close to taking the day-by-day -day just getting soul nourishment from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And that's where he wants us to go with that. And so it grows into that. And then in this, as we're meeting them, we see it's they're common folks with this. And then look what they happen in verse 7. Because of this uh, following the Lord, it says, verse 7, so that you were examples to all the believed in Macedonia and Achaia. That's their general region. That'd be like our state. Actually, a smaller geographically than our state right there. But that area, that region, he said you were known. Not that they were famous. It doesn't even tell us how many believers there were there. 
We don't have larger crowds, smaller crowds. But they were known because they were consistently following the Lord. There was something known about that. And then, verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Cai, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. These people were instrumental in helping with missions. By the way, when you read in this, and you get over to Corinthians, and you start dealing with the churches of Macedonia, you're going to find out that Paul says to them, he said, you sent once again to my needs. Why? In Thessalonica and in the other places beyond what happened, those Macedonian churches that had started at Philippi, when those Macedonian churches, they got together and they made sure that the missionaries could go forward into other places to establish churches and take the gospel and all that. That's, those were these people. It's really wild. That term, Brother Robin, sounded out. It's always caught my attention when I read through that. Although I've never slowed down before to really look at it and see what all deals with that in the Scripture, but it did in, in preparing uh, for this morning. And that term from you sounded out the word of the Lord. That word sounded out. It's interesting at the time. 17 times it shows up in the Bible. There are, I think, three. I checked myself here. But it has to do... Okay, in Jonathan, in the Old Testament, in Samuel, it says that Jonathan sounded out Saul, his father. Jonathan said to David, I will sound out my father. You know what he was saying, don't you? I'll go see what's going on with him. We'll see, see how it's going. That, that's the way that thing's used. Then, uh, that was used there. And then Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, said... With Mary's salutation, it said when Mary's salutation sounded out that the babe leaped in her womb. She, when Mary, and, and before she had the Christ child, said to Elizabeth, gave her, gave her a salutation or greeted her, it was called, it sounded out. That's how they produced something with it. The other time the word sounded is used, and it's just the word sounded, uh, is when in, over in Acts 27 when they got in the shipwreck, and they're going, it says they sounded and found it so many fathoms deep. That would be a term we're used to, the nautical term with it. So those are three times. The other 14 times, now I love this. Look, look at the verse we're dealing with. Because I learned just by Bible use, that's the way you learn your words best. It's verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. What was that like? What was it like? What was the Thessalonian church doing that was described by God as sounding out the word of the Lord? Well, the other 14 times in the Bible that the word sounded is used in any, uh, in any conjunction has to do with trumpets. And the first time that it has to do with trumpets, the first time is when the trumpet sounded on Mount Sinai and waxed louder and louder so the people were afraid to come to the mountain when God was conversing with Moses was giving him the Ten Commandments. And when I saw that, now, the wee hours of this morning, I was putting finishing touches on things. I, I got up, got up for early this morning, was doing some things that we were here late last night. But anyway, I was finishing up, and I known all week that the Lord would have me here in Thessalonians with you. And I was going through, and I thought, I want to see what the Bible says about sound. I've been curious about that all week as I've been looking at it. And I got that first thing, and I started looking, it's trumpet, trumpets, trumpets. And I thought, my goodness! <laughs> No wonder that term's used. Because that's exactly what it's supposed to be like as far as the word of the Lord going out. Bold and vocal. 
Doesn't mean you have to be this loud. Believe me, when I'm talking to people one-on-one -on -one about their soul, it's not what you see me do when I'm addressing a large crowd, okay? I don't knock on doors and back up and say, Hi, I'm from Lighthouse Baptist. How are you today? And, you know, I get shot. I have holes in me at some point. But, but sounding out, I go to this with the trumpet. Clarity. The concept of the trumpet is a call to battle. Knowing what to do next. That Corinthians talks about that when it's talking about the confusion of what's called tongues and, and, and how that gets all messed up. And it says, if the trumpet give not forth a certain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? There needs to be a clarity. What are we supposed to do? What's next? What's supposed to go on? And with that, that's trumpet. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be demonstrative. But we have to be clear. And it's a clear statement. There's a lot of muddled messages going out. There's a lot of muddled messages in what's called Christianity. And your coworkers and your family members are hearing all kinds of weird stuff, man. They get what's passing off as Christianity is just a messed up bunch of nonsense going on. And not clear scripture. Clear statement about who Jesus is. Clear statement about that God is a holy God and deserving of some people to love him and worship him and to honor him in spirit and truth. So let's let's be people who have a trumpet. I love it. In fact, one of the references almost sidetracked me. This morning I didn't have time. I wanted to chase something. But we have the trumpet. Nehemiah's day when they were building the wall, rebuilding that wall, they had the trumpet with him so he could call them to battle if the enemy started to come in on him. Just a lot of great references. You want to do a study on that one. And so look, in, look there, if you will, in verse 9. Let me finish out with you this morning. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Look at it. How that you turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. In Acts 20, verses 17 through 21, culminating in verse 21, when Paul's preaching, he said, he described his preaching this way. He said, I preached unto them repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know the true approach of gospel preaching, repentance towards God. We come to God His way, not our way. We acknowledge who He is. He doesn't acknowledge who we are. We don't customize Him. We come in repentance. Facing what we need to face that is wrong, that is error. Just like Jesus pushed the situation with the woman at the well. He was very gracious to her, very kind to her. But as she wanted to start about a religious argument in there, He said, go call your husband. She said, well, I've had five husbands. The one I'm living with right now isn't my husband. And, uh, or he said that to her. He said, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. And he said, you've had five husbands. The one you're living with isn't your husband. She says, you're a prophet. <laughs> and uh, what did he do? He just kept telling her. And he says to her, man, she's, she's wonder, you know, she's a lady obviously been around a bit, but that kind of blew me away a couple months ago when I was reading that verse and I was reading out loud to the congregation. Something caught my attention that I'd never seen before. I mean, I learned things while I'm preaching too. Jesus said to her declaratively, if you had known who spoke to you, you would ask of him. So he said to her, he's looked at her, and he looks beyond her brokenness and all the mess in her life, and he says, if you really knew who I was, you'd want me. Isn't that an incredible statement? I wonder how many people there are that, you know, you look out on the surface, you might think, oh, I don't. No, they have a heart that wants to know who the real God is. Well, let's have sense enough to talk about Him, right? And so that's, that's what I did. And it says, 
repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I, if I repent towards God and I realize He's God and I'm man, I realize I've sinned against Him. Not that I've made a few mistakes. Not that I'm learning some things on my journey and all that nonsense. I have sinned against the Holy God. And I've got to come to God God's way and accept what He says about who I am and who He is. What does that lead me to? Very naturally, it leads me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if my repentance towards God's real and it's biblical, I realize I have nothing to offer Him. I love the invitation song just as I am without one plea. It so speaks well the truth there. What is it? I realize I can't fix myself. I realize, even if I didn't know the Bible verses, I realize that my righteousnesses are filthy rags. I understand that I have a need and a deep need. What does that lead me to? Faith in Christ. I can't look to myself for salvation. So as I look and I understand from the Scripture, there is one that lived holy. There's one that lives sinless. There's one that died in my place and rose again. And so I said, well, I can't trust me. I don't have what I need. I'll trust the one who came for me and accept God's substitute. That's faith in Christ. See how that goes together? And so this is repentance towards God and faith in Christ. And he talked about that. And then what did that do? They turned from their idols to serve the true and living God. They didn't try to keep their idols and keep God too. Many people might say, I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to add Jesus on. That never has worked and never will. God will not accept it. Christ alone is salvation. And he's very, very emphatic about it. And then verse 10 and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And there is wrath to come. And thank God for His deliverance. It's available. But I put something down with the word wait that I knew you need to hear this morning. I wrote this little statement, this little definition, if you will, derived from its use in Scripture. To wait in this context. Wait for, our son, for His Son from heaven. To wait is patiently looking while actively serving. That's what waiting is. It's the concept of occupying until He comes. Patiently looking while actively serving. It's not the idea of being inert. It's not the idea of just, I'm not doing anything. It's the idea of being patient. Things are coming. I don't understand all things. There are troubles that come. There are tribulations. There are trials. All this stuff goes on. But I'm just going to keep patiently serving. What does that mean? That means I will do what I know is right to do. I will love the Lord. I may have questions that can't be answered. And by the way, it is not sinful or wrong to ask why. It is sinful and wrong to accuse God. There's a difference, huge difference. But as I might ask Him why, and I might not get an answer to why, and I don't know all the reasons why, but I do know this. I do know I can trust Him. And so, I'll help Him. I just want to keep trusting Him and doing what I need to do step by step. What is that? That's patient continuance and well-doing. The Bible talks about it. And it's called waiting. It's called doing the right thing. Let me pray with you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your people. For the time in the Word. God, You've been good to us. Help us, please, to be good to You. To take into account Your, your desires, Your thoughts, Your feelings. And Lord, You've revealed them to us in the Word. Help us to live in a way that's loving towards You. I pray you'll bless, bless in the matter of salvation. In the ears that have heard, Lord, may the heart hear also the necessity of the gospel and who you are. Help us to follow you and be like these early believers that you've 
preserved this for us so we would know that we could follow you. Bless us and help us to be a blessing in following to you, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. And we have a song invitation. There's something you want to bring before the Lord. This is a, not a time to disturb or anything. It's an important part of our service. I'd invite you to come bring to the Lord what's on your heart and seek Him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's no reason to leave without Him. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear. God would like to work in your heart and in your lives. We have a song invitation, something you want to bring before the Lord this morning. You want to bring to His attention. Why don't you come as, as Mrs. Webb plays?